Maggie, we're supposed to have a Big If True episode out this week, but I'm having a really hard time coming up with a topic. Hmm, think, think, think. Giant clams? Did that already. Dinosaurs? No one we've reached out to has gone back to us. Egypt? Hey, hold on a sec. What's that? Oh my. What is going on here? It looks like a huge procession. Wow, there are soldiers. And treasure. And dancers. And animals. I like animals. I think this should be our episode topic, this triumphal procession. I agree. This is the triumphal procession from an opera named Aida. And it's what we're going to talk about today on Big Big If If True. Where I, Maggie, and I, Abby, explore the truth about big things. Today is the next installment in our series, Big If True in Literature and Culture. Today we're talking about Aida, an opera written in 1871 by an Italian named Giuseppe Verdi. So here's a quiz question to test your knowledge. How long does it take to perform Aida without any breaks? A. One hour. B. An hour and 15 minutes. C. Two hours. Or D. Two hours and 45 minutes. We'll tell you the answer near the end of the show. We found someone great to tell us all about Aida. He's an orchestra conductor who has conducted the opera multiple times. I'm Stephen White. I am a conductor. I'm 58 years old, which makes me very, very old. Um, And I've been at this for quite some time. Um, I was very fortunate. I had opportunities as a child to start going to classical music events and operas and symphonies and recitals and plays and all that kind of stuff. And I had the added benefit of the fact that my parents are both professional musicians. My mom was a professional singer. She was a soprano. My dad was a pianist and a musicologist. And he was my first teacher of music. And and I, I sort of say that he taught me He taught me everything, really. I am really blessed to be a conductor because uh, of all the the things one can do as a musician, um, there is no greater privilege than than standing up in front of a bunch of people, leading them as a conductor. And because it's such a privilege, I I take it as such a huge responsibility as well. Stephen, thank you so much for talking to us. Hold up. Before we go much further, let's define what an opera is. It's a really big, long story told in music, usually by singers who are accompanied by an orchestra. But they're not just singing, they're also acting out the story. So it's like a play, where no one talks in a normal voice. They sing absolutely everything. Operas are often long, and they're really hard to write, to sing, and to play in. Stephen, can you tell us what is special about conducting an opera? You know, conducting itself is is a sort of a strange kind of thing. And you know, there are two there are two views about conducting. There are some people that think that conductors have to be these incredible geniuses and that just by the way they move their eyebrow, that you know, it changes the whole tone of an orchestra or or something and that there's some kind of something special about it. And then there's the opposite view of that that anyone can do it. This idea that that anyone can do it is is actually closer to the truth in some in in some ways, because I'll tell you, the great thing about conducting is that I'm not making the sound, I'm relying on my my singers and my players to make the sound. The thing with opera is that there are areas that absolutely require a conductor that just doing straight symphonic work or just straight choral work won't do. Usually with an opera, 
you've got the orchestra sitting in a pit. And first of all, just the idea that it's called a pit, it sort of gives you uh, a, a general feeling of what it's like to be down there. It, it almost feels like punishment sometimes. Sometimes, depending on how large the orchestra is, I mean, it can be so crowded in there. So the conductor is down there in the pit with the orchestra. And then you've got these singers on stage that have their music memorized and they're running all over the place, sometimes upstage, downstage. And it is the conductor's job to keep all of that together. That's, that's the conductor's job at the bare minimum. But then all of the other aspects of, that make music making enjoyable and a human experience come into play after that. If you can conduct opera well, you can conduct anything well. That is why so many of the world's greatest conductors, most of the great conductors of, of, of the past got their start in opera because opera is where you're needed. The word conductor has nothing to do with trains, okay? Um, it has to do with the idea of something conducting, you know, copper is a conducting element. Energy will go through a copper wire to some other place. I think of myself as a copper wire. The music comes through me. I am the conductor and it goes out to the orchestra, which is down here and, and up to the players which are up here. And, and we are all united by the conductor. Does, the conductor is not the most important person there, but the conductor is the person who sort of has the job of making it all hold together and give us the freedom to do what we do. Can you give us a two-minute synopsis of the plot of Aida? Well, Aida takes place in ancient Egypt. And the character of Aida is an Ethiopian princess who has been captured by the Egyptians. Okay, she's an Ethiopian. She's been captured by the, by the Egyptians, and now she is serving as the personal slave to Amneris, the daughter of the Egyptian king. So she too is a princess. Aida is in love with Radames, who is the handsome and heroic leader of the Egyptian army. And he is in love with her as well. And of course, they have to keep that as a very big secret because, and this is a very big problem, Amneris is also in love with Radames. So here you have a classic, absolutely classic operatic love triangle. Soon we find out that Ethiopia has invaded Egypt, led by their own king, Amunazro. And now it's the job of Radames to go defeat the Ethiopians. And of course, this absolutely rips Aida apart because Amunazro, the leader of the Ethiopians, is her father. So she's torn between rooting for her father and her native country or the person she loves, Radames. Now, Amneris, the Egyptian princess, is suspecting that there might be something going on between Aida and Radames. So she makes up a story and she tells Aida that Radames has been killed in battle. When Aida reacts with shock and grief, Amneris knows that Aida is in love with Radames. And I mean, that was a very mean thing for her to do, wasn't it? I mean, ridiculous. Radames had not been killed. In fact, he conquered the Ethiopian army and now he is marching them all back through the grand city gates. This is one of the most famous scenes. We talked about it earlier in all of opera, known as the triumphal scene of Aida. 
and it's huge. Sometimes you'll have well over a hundred people on stage. Egyptian soldiers and regular Egyptian citizens, as well as Amonazro, Aida's father. Of course, no one knows that Amonazro is her father as well as all the captured Ethiopian army and even some of their wives and their children. And usually you'll even have some animals. I've done it with camels and horses and even an elephant once. Of course, it takes a big stage for all of that. And now all the Egyptians are crying out and demanding that the captured Ethiopians be executed. The Egyptian king tells Radames that as a reward, he can have anything he wants. Radames, being a good guy, asks that the Ethiopians' lives be spared. He, Rodimus, will be the next king of Egypt, and he must marry Amneris. So for most people, you'd think that would be pretty good news, but for Rodimus and Aida, it was a disaster. So they decide to meet at night and make a plan. Aida gets to the spot first on the banks of the Nile River and is surprised by her father. He still wants to fight with the Egyptians, so he coerces Aida to get information about the location of the Ethiopian army from Radames. I mean, she is really torn between doing the right thing for her country and her love for Radames. When Radames shows up, they decide to escape by eloping, but Aida finds a way to get him to say where the army is. At this point, Amanazaro jumps out from his hiding place and Radames realizes that he has essentially committed treason. He helps Amanazro and Aida escape and surrenders to the Egyptian guards. So we're coming down the home stretch here. Radames is tried for treason. And Amneris, who now regrets what she's done a little late, don't you think? She begs for mercy, but to no avail. He is sentenced to death to be buried alive inside a vault. So he's placed in this vault, which of course has limited oxygen, only to find that Aida is already inside waiting for him. She has decided to die with him. And together they sing of their love and they bid farewell to earth and all its sorrows. And as they suffocate and die in each other's arms, Omneris is heard outside the vault, weeping and praying to Isis for forgiveness. And that's how Aida ends. Wow, that is a bummer of a story. That is a thing about opera. People make lots of bad choices in opera. I mean, you could write a whole book about making wrong choices in opera. It sounds like Aida needs a lot of people to make it happen. How big of a production is Aida? Aida is known as perhaps the grandest of all grand operas. There are operas um, that have bigger orchestras. The Wagner's operas have bigger orchestras. And, but just in terms of the pageantry, Aida has the, the very famous triumphal scene. And sometimes you can have a couple hundred people on stage, different choristers, and then uh, you know all, all different kinds of what we call supernumeraries, that is to say, people who aren't singing, but who are acting. That is, you'll have dancers, you'll have all of this stuff on stage. Plus you've got a very large orchestra for a 19th century uh, Italian orchestra that has an added wind band, brass band, as well as six Egyptian trumpets that have to play off stage and on stage. 
So it's just really, really big at its biggest. But the other thing about Aida that is so great is the fact that it has moments of incredible intimacy, real softness where you have to get the most, the most delicate kind of playing out of the strings. It's known as a grand opera and, and it certainly is. But, it, but for those who really know it, they love it also for the fact that it can be very intimate and very poignant uh, in a delicate kind of way. So Aida has it all. It really does. As we've been listening to this right now, I noticed that this isn't sung in English. So how can the audience follow along with what's happening if they don't speak the language the opera is written in? Hey, that's a great question. Well, there are two ways. Most people say the first thing that's most important is, well, they've got super titles. That is to say, you can you have English up above the stage, usually, sometimes below the stage, sometimes uh, at certain opera houses, you'll have them on the back of the seat in front of you, you'll have the translations. Obviously, that is one way. That's the easiest, most obvious way. But the other way, too, is by the expression of what's going on stage. It's not as specific as the text itself. And of course, we need that specificity, which is why the supertitles and the translation is important. But I always am trying to ask my singers that they express in their, in their acting, but not only in their acting, but in their singing, with, with the emotion of their singing, as much as they possibly can, as be as specific as they can. Does it mean that we're gonna know if, if the text says, I'll meet you at two, or uh, no, we don't know that they're saying, I'll meet you too, but by, by, if you don't understand Italian. But I do want them to have a sense of expectation that is obvious. I, I grew up not seeing opera with translations. I fell in love with the music and, and, and of course I studied the plots, but you know, the really great uh, music makers are very interested in being as specific as they possibly can about the emotions and the and and the the thoughts that they are trying to express, and and so it's it's very much like let, let's pretend you've got an orchestra or a piano. We know that they don't have words. A piano doesn't play with words. An orchestra doesn't play with words. But we it needs to mean something, right? There there has to be some kind of expressive content that comes forward. The universal language of music goes a long way as well. Those supertitles are sure handy though, I'll have to say, but you know what, you've got to be careful. There are times when I, I have learned this the wrong way where, oh, we'll just have the translation up there. Well, you know, there are many, many ways to translate things. And I have been conducting and I hear the audience laugh and I don't, what are they laughing about? And I'll look up and I'll see that the translation was absurd, that it, like it was wrong. I'll give you a very perfect example. In the opera Tosca, by Puccini, which is one of my favorite operas. Tosca has got virtually black eyes, her pupils, and she's known for the beauty of her, of her dark eyes. And her boyfriend, Cavaradossi, is do, making a painting. On this painting, the woman has got blue eyes. And th that, makes, that makes Tosca jealous. And she said, well, make sure that you give her uh, the right color of eyes, make sure that they're dark. And, and on the super title, it says, give her, give her a black eye. <laughs> like when someone hits you and you get a black eye. And of course, that's not what the text meant, but that's what the super title said. It's not even supposed to be a funny moment per se. But so anyway, I have learned, I have learned as a conductor, 
I, I often write my own super titles when I'm doing my own productions at my own company. But as a conductor, I, I insist on seeing the super titles now. Okay, so now we need to know, how long does it take to perform Aida? There's about two hours and 45 minutes of music, as is in the score. There's the answer to our quiz question. An uncut version of Aida, performed straight through with no breaks, takes about two hours and 45 minutes. That's a really long opera, even for adults. So Stephen, as our last question, if Aida is too much for a kid to start with, what opera is a good place to start listening to opera? I think that Hansel and Gretel, which is a, such a great, great opera. Hansel and Gretel happens to be one of my favorites. It's by the German composer uh, Engelbert Humperdinck, and it has got some of the most beautiful music ever written in it. And it is the same Hansel and Gretel story that I think most kids are fairly familiar with. The only thing that you have to worry about is if the, if the witch is too scary, it, it, it might scare some of the, the witch might scare some of the younger kids. But I, I would recommend um, Hansel and Gretel first and foremost. So here's our challenge to you listeners. Go listen to Aida's Triumphal March, or even better, watch it. We've linked to a couple versions in our show notes at bigiftrue.abbymullen.org. Then draw us a picture of the Triumphal Procession. And if you send it to us, we'll send you a sticker. You or your adult can send us an email at bigiftrue at abbymullen.org. And we'll pass along your artwork to Stephen and then send you a sticker. And that's all for today's episode of Big, Big If, if True. True. We'll see you next time. Big If True is produced by me, Abby, and Maggie. Special thanks to our expert, Stephen White, for talking to us all about opera. And thanks to Bob Jones University for allowing us to use the music from their most recent production of Aida, which Stephen conducted. Our theme music is composed by Andrew Cody. Thank you all for listening, and now, go listen to some opera.